0: And welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. And I realised that was a very excited hello, but that's because it's taken me six tries to get it this far. And I'm really hoping this seventh one really hits the mark. But I'm really excited. I'm really excited. I'm really grateful for the conversation that's happening in this episode. Because ever since I thought about this podcast, I wanted, I wanted this perspective of life in the boarding school, but it just didn't feel right to kind of bring this conversation in without having sort of foundation of what boarding culture was like. So if you're new to this podcast and you haven't checked it out yet, might I encourage that you listen to the episode with Ronit Bar ideally before this episode, but I would encourage you to listen to that episode immediately after this as well, because it gives you a lot of the perspective of what culture on the fort was like. And this episode then, in many ways, is a commentary on the culture from the perspective of somebody who completely got the other side of the deal. Which brings me to our guest. My guest today is Sukanya Shukla, who is the daughter of one of our teachers on the fort. And I am so eternally grateful that she decided to come onto the podcast knowing well enough what this conversation might look like. And I had certain ideas of what this conversation might entail and certain things that I wanted to talk about. But the directions it took, the depth we went into, it really, it, 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 hit me and it kind of stayed with me in ways I didn't really expect it to and I am so very grateful it did because it allowed me to reflect on my own kind of presence on the fort and the times that I may have stood by silently while knowing a lot of the things that were happening and same as that episode with Ronnie, the caveat to all of this is these are very subjective experiences the intention isn't to slander the name of the institution the institution itself has done so much good But like the culture, the ever-changing culture on the fort did have many drawbacks to it. And this is but a perspective or two perspectives on the culture of what that fort was like. I would encourage that you listen to this with an open mind, that you bring into this listening experience a lot of empathy for the kid that Sokania was while she was still on the fort. But also, and this is a disclaimer that we talk about on the podcast, at no point is this an expectation of an apology If you feel like you may have wronged people on the fort, there is no expectation of you to go apologise. I think it's just a process of reflecting on the journey that you've had and maybe how you can be better now. And that is all I'm going to say about it. Again, Sakanya, I am so incredibly grateful that you decided to have this conversation with me, that you allowed me to get a glimpse into your life on the fort. And it really has changed the way that I look at a lot of my time on the fort. And again, I cannot, cannot stress how... How incredibly difficult it must have been. And I cannot, cannot say this enough. I I am just in awe of the vulnerability that you brought into this episode. But also just, it's a, it's a conversation that will stay with me for a very long time. But that is, that is all I'm going to say about this episode. And I let the episode do the talking. If you like what we do, please do consider checking out our other episodes. Or if you want to support me, consider checking out our Patreon. It's linked down below and you get early access to all these episodes along with a lot of my writing. But without further wait, my guest for this episode, Sukanya Shukla.
1: So my name is Sukanya. We went to school together, Panav and I. Mm-hmm. We both were in Sindhya school, which was an all-boys school. But the reason why there were a small number of girls in the school was because um, there was a rule that if one or both your parents taught there, you could also go to the school if, even if you were female-identifying. Um, So that's the reason why I was one of the six girls or yeah, when I was in 12th grade, I think there were like six of us left um, in the entire school. I loved a lot of things about that school. I Mm -hmm. was very active in like poetry, speaking competitions. I liked debating a lot, although that was something that I was always like. No, my sister is better than that. So I like stay away from that genre. So I would not be compared in one field. Like sibling comparison would not exist. So I just did not participate in that that much. Um, but I then graduated Cynthia and then I came to Bates College in mm-hmm. the US where I double majored in theater and psychology. Mm-hmm. And I had a concentration in the human body. Uh, now I work in Boston Children's Hospital um, in Boston. And I do research with the division of adolescent medicine and GYN here. So very much a straight out of undergrad job, mm. but I really, really love research. I've come to love it even more here. And I'm currently preparing for nursing school hopefully next year. So yeah, that's that's me.
0: If she sounds like she's achieved a lot, that's because she has. <laughs> and I'd I'd like to think the signs were always like there. And I can imagine and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. But I'm, I'd am i be obviously very curious to know how much the experiences of the fort kind of you carry with you, which I think will be in many ways a lot of the conversation. But I suppose to get the ball rolling. I have my own experiences of the fort, but I think I want to maybe start with like an exploration of your own experiences. So what was that like for you being in that environment?
1: Okay, so... So I remember, I actually remember the day my mom told my sister and I that we'd be moving to Goliar and she was really excited. I remember her coming back. She came back from her interview and she, she knew it went well, but of course, Mm -hmm. because my mom is so down to earth, she's never like shares that she's good at anything. So she was just like, yeah, it went okay. And you know, we're going to be, we'll see what happens. And then within a week, I think we had started packing to move. Mm -hmm. I remember I was just at the time I was like, this is going to be such a great experience, you know, that my mom kept pointing out, pointing out a lot of the positives, which were positives when I started school. Yeah. Like so much exposure to such good education, like so many new dreams to have that I never would have like, thought of even having in Dehradun. Yeah. And so when I first came to Cindy, I was still in fourth grade, so I had to go to a different school first and then start. Cindy in sixth grade but my mm-hmm. sister because she was a year older than me she already started so she was kind of like my like she like opens a lot of doors for me and like I learned from her experiences a lot yeah so I remember that she would you know like work her absolute ass off like the entire time she was a very dedicated passionate learner and a lot of the times that was like her I don't know like I don't want to speak for her but I think a lot of the times us doing good academically was considered like, well, that's the best you can do in terms of like, when you're not in an all boys school, Mm -hmm. academics is the one way that you can prove yourself. Mm -hmm. And I hated classrooms. I hated going to the school. (laughs) I was the bitchiest kid in the morning. Like I absolutely, I was like, my, my mom was like, well, you know, your sister studies so hard. Like, And everything Mm -hmm. she has. And she never did it in a comparison way. She more did it like, you know, this is something you could learn from your sister. But I just for the life of me could never appreciate education in in that sense. I was always very hands on. I wanted to go out and do things and do activities and Mm I was actually very excited to like start playing sports when I Mm -hmm. first started Cynthia, but very, very soon I realized that if, if I were to be part of any sports team, it will have to be something that was like an individual sport. So I started with table tennis Mm -hmm. and then I dared to join the basketball team and I was kicked out (laughs) like within a week. And that definitely took a hit on my Mm self-esteem, but I think overall, like, Growing up in Sindhya, like, it was so much, like, it was so much, like, confusion, so much, like, joy at times, so much excitement, Mm -hmm. so much, like, recognition, so many dreams to be had and, like, fulfilled. I think, overall, it did take away from, like, me growing up at my own pace. I think Mm -hmm. studying in an all-boys school required me to grow up too fast, too soon. And I think I still... I've been in therapy since I started college, but I think that's something I'm still processing. I still hold a lot of grudge against that. Yeah. This almost like things that you would hear, things that you were expected to do as a girl.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just always felt like when you're in it, it feels so normal. It feels like, well, that's what you're expected to do. So you should yeah. do it. But I think in hindsight, a lot of these things were really harmful to hear. A lot of nights where I was just like endless crying and fights with my mom. One thing that I still also hold a grudge against was I I think my relationship with my mom could have been much better Mm -hmm. in Cynthia, had I had it not been an all boys school and had it not come with a lot of like the negatives that it did as much as the positives, but a lot of like messaging that was there. I wouldn't have blamed my mom as much for us Mm -hmm. being in all boys school. I would have been able to see things from her perspective, but truly as a 13, 12 year old, I just wanted to be happy and have friends and just be someone who people considered worthy of friendship and mm-hmm. uh not constantly being sidelined and and bullied. So I think like there was a lot that I took from it. I have great friends from Sindia, but I think overall I'm still trying to process the negatives so I can like see the positives better. Yeah. Because there definitely were. There was there was a lot of things that I still look back on and I it absolutely fills me with joy and like mm-hmm. makes me laugh and I have really good memories. But I just, I just wish that. It was also different.
0: Yeah. I am really sorry that you had to experience all of that because no kid should, no student should feel like they've been sidelined or denied opportunities. Like I can't get over the fact that you were not allowed to play basketball a week into it. And let's be honest and call what it is for, Cindy, was a deeply misogynistic place.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. But to, to just based off the things that you've said there, I know you said that they were experiences that really pulled you down or experiences that really soured the experience of what that fort was to to whatever degree you feel comfortable what were some of those experiences and what was it like
1: yeah um I think out out of like all the experiences there's obviously some that you have as a teenager everything is so confusing when you hit Mm -hmm. puberty everything is everything sucks and (laughs) the most confusing time like there I'm trying to like create the best impression on stage with words but i also want to Mm -hmm. look good and nothing makes sense as a teenager truly Mm -hmm. but i also i think like a lot of things that were negatives definitely stemmed from you put it perfectly from like a very misogynistic culture that was not only present but heavily endured heavily promoted Why I say that with more emphasis is because I think the more I grow up, the more I've come to realize that I personally believe that in and it's it's affected me that way, too, that if I think about incidents that took away from like me growing up as a happy kid or, Mm -hmm. you know, broke my heart a lot of times, like in a very like, oh, my God, I just want acceptance. Like, why can't I get that kind of way? Mm -hmm. I think in those incidents, I mostly remember like the people who were there who watched it happen and who didn't do anything than the person who was inflicting the harm, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know why that is, but I think it just hurts more to to know for a fact that there were so many people around that saw it happen, ignored it, because you as a 12-year-old, as a 13-year-old, was were expected to sort of like put up with it. Or I as a 13-year-old was expected to put up with it.
2: Yeah.
1: And oftentimes why people expected us to put up with it was because in their eyes, it was a pretty sweet bargain. Like we were going to an all boys school. We were not paying full tuition. We were still, you know, as kids, we, you know, we could make use of all opportunities and, you know, stuff that was on board. And at the time to me, it made, it made perfect sense. I was like, well, of course, like if I'm not paying tuition here, it makes sense that I'm being treated in such a bad way. Like it makes sense that I have to put up with some sort of hardship. But I, in hindsight, I don't think any 12 or 13 year old girl or any girl no. for that matter, especially in like, just that is such a vulnerable age in anyone's like journey of growing up should have to put up with that. And one of the incidents that I like still think about a lot was, I think I was in 10th grade or something. I had a fight. I'm not going to name names. I just not don't feel comfortable about that. But I was sitting in one of my German lessons and Something happened. I don't know what, like something in discussion. And I said, like, I responded to this guy and I was like, you know what, you can fuck off or something. And I said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember soon after that, class ended. We came outside and I was walking downstairs to my next lesson. And this guy who I had said that to came behind me and he slapped me. And I was, I, I actually remember looking at his face and I was like, do you realize what you did? And if you did, then why are you not apologizing already? what really scared me about that look and what scared me to be in Cynthia, was that he was convinced that he was right. He, he knew what he did was right. He knew what he did was he was, he was almost entitled to do that. And I think that that's something that really scared me about Cynthia, because then it made me really confused. I was like, well, then what am I entitled to? Am I entitled to respect? Can I ask for it? Do I deserve it? And that wasn't the first time that someone had like mistreated me in Sindhya Mm -hmm. but that was the first time that someone had like physically abused me and I think like it was just such a hard thing to like digest that I I was I just it just felt humiliating and it felt humiliating more because there were so many teachers there there were so many students there and the minute they saw my mom everybody just was like okay I guess that's taken care of like we don't need to step in but I'm just like, no, but you, and there were male teachers soon. I was just like, you as a male teacher stepping in and saying that what he did was wrong might be the only way to convince a guy that he yeah. is wrong and that he shouldn't be doing that. And he's not entitled to hit people. Yeah. But I remember I remember that. And then, like, you know, my mom and one of the other teachers too, they took me to their office and they like calmed me down. And, and you know, by then it was like lunchtime. And I will never forget this. I, I remember walking into what we called mess um mm-hmm. our dining hall in school and I, I <laughs> it was a mess it inference. was a mess <laughs> yeah and I remember like this guy who had just who had hit me
2: mm-hmm.
1: he comes out of that like side area where you would wash your hands and he came out of there and there were like a couple of guys following him who weren't my friends but acquaintance or uh, even if not friends or acquaintances like people I would still expect to you know not do this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. They were following him and I remember them patting him in the back and like, as I'm walking in, still crying with my mom and my sister and they were patting him in the back and says like, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to apologize for. And till this day, I don't think they, they think that that was wrong because they think that if I can say, if I can tell someone to fuck off, I deserve to be beaten Mm -hmm. up. And it was always more about like policing how girls responded. There was a lot of like, well, we can't control how other people treat you but you can control how you react. So why don't you react in a more peaceful way? And it was just, it's like, it's not, it does not work that way. Like I'm also a 12 and 13 year old teenager. I also have Mm -hmm. a big ego. I also don't want to be humiliated in front of people. So yeah, I think like that was one of the incidents that really threw me off. And I think after that, it was really, really hard for me to like feel safe in school mostly because I was so scared of just the humiliation that can follow from things like that. Yeah. And then also like something, that I think another big thing that took away was like just the joy of being a kid. Like I wanted nothing more on Holi and like Diwali to like go, especially Holi, because there was a lot of like people who stayed back for Holi around boards, especially yeah. to just go and have fun with people. But I wish there was like, I could say that there was at least one Holi in my seven years that's in there where my mom wasn't like, You know, be careful. Like, keep it keep an arm's length. Don't don't go into big crowds of boys. Like, don't do this. Don't do that. And it's crazy. The irony is that I did all of that, and yet I don't think there was one holy where I wasn't groped or I wasn't touched inappropriately, or someone didn't make a comment about you know what I was wearing or whether if if it was too tight. And you know, when those kind of comments come from people your age, like kids your age, it really really sucks. It really hurts. But what hurts more is that sometimes and often they came from male teachers. And I think that was the most like appalling part for me. Just this like hypersexualization of really, really young girls. And I think like that took away a lot of like my childhood. Like I think I was always too focused on trying to not be perceived as a sexual being, even though like I don't know what made me be perceived that way, apart from me just being a girl in an all-boys school. But it also just like really it, it it made to me the messaging that was sent was like it made me feel really dirty and it made me feel really like isolated or, or like that I was doing something terrible by being a girl. And I did not have a choice in the subject matter like that. That's who I was born as. I'm proud to be a woman. But yeah, I think when I think about some of the structures, I think like those two things are the big things that come to mind. Like I just don't think like now where I am right now, I just don't think like anything can justify like harm done to little girls or little kids. And I now that I think about it, I was just like, man, I just really I wish someone had stepped up and said, No, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. That was a lot. But to answer your question, like those are some oh. of the big things that like stood out for me. Yeah.
0: This is the entire caveat to everything I'm about to say is I this comes from a place of a privilege in that I was a man and it's a couple of things obviously the first thing that immediately as you were telling that story i was like okay shit that happened but also i'm not surprised in the least that that happened yeah and that speaks so much about that culture of silence we all knew and what annoys the shit out of me because i was going to ask you what happened to that kid after Mm -hmm. but like you said it he was, he would have probably gone back home or sorry, his own house and celebrated as the ultimate bond for slapping a little girl. And the, the thing as, you, as you're talking about it, as you're describing your experience, I can't help but shake this feeling. And I've, I've had this feeling for years. When you look at Sindia, it's a pocket dimension, right? It's a little tiny place in the middle of like a smallish size city in the country that's like fucking billions of people. <sighs> But even in that small environment, you take that culture out and it's literally evident everywhere. We're still talking about a culture and not just in India, a lot of places where it's like women have to police themselves. It's never about why can't we teach our boys to be better? Why aren't we talking about the fact that that boy deserved to be reprimanded more than you needed to be told? Hey, Sakanya, so you, you know, when you're going out on unholy, you shouldn't have to worry about the clothes you're wearing or how big of a crowd it is because you absolutely lived it. I have known or all my years in Sindhya that women were groped, teachers were groped, yep. which is such a horrible thing to happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think like, apart from like girls as well, like I think in general, there was that lack of conversation, like appropriate touch. Like even I yeah. saw like between guys and I would like be like, you know, sometimes guys would, like, well, no, like, you know, we're friends, like he enjoyed it. And I and I just I could see on the face like, well, because I'm not sure if he has the right space to say anything against what you did. I think he's on yeah. the spot. I think he has to laugh yeah. it off as if he's cool with it. But I don't think he is. And I think that was just such a like what gives someone the right to just approach you and touch you. Like that was so normal in 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 that environment, I think, to You know, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> For us as boys in the boarding house, we were beaten to death. Yeah, but. It's man, you're so spot on, you're so spot on. And it's the thing we've, we've all known about it. I mean, I can't help, but we reconnected years later after I put out the essay about my sexual assault at school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Everybody knew about it. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Jason Mazumdar was one of the most inappropriate teachers, the school had ever had. He
1: was, I had several instances of him and I did not like any of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I will never put it on the kids because as kids we were like, "Ah, look at him! He's a funny teacher talking about condoms and sex and dicks." Yep. Teachers knew about it. Yep.
1: No, everybody knew about it.
0: Yeah. The last day I was assaulted, as I was in his house, there was another teacher present on the premise, and I'm not going to take names. Yeah. He knew probably what Jason was accused of because yeah. I wasn't the only student Jason ever abused.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and this this is, I suppose, we we can be here, we can say these things, but I'm I'm this this is this is what I'm. And, and I can't help but shake this. I absolutely cannot help but shake this. And I, 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 I know this is a bit of a deviation from like being on the fort. Mm-hmm. You leave the fort. You go outside the boundaries of the the city. You you start college. You leave India as well. How how is that? What do you bring from the fort?
1: Um, what happened was that these messaging that I took with me was not only then. And I can say that now because I've done a lot of work with like, you know, ex- holding myself accountable for when I've caused harm to people as well. But I think mm-hmm. the messaging that I took from, from Cyndia caused me harm post Cynthia, like when I moved to the States, even when I was in college, I, yeah. but also like, I think it really took away from how I would have liked to be in other people's lives. Or how, how mm-hmm. present I would have liked to be in other people's lives or the kind of friend I would have liked to be, the kind of person I would have liked to be. I think after Cynthia, my, my self-esteem was so six feet under that I think I became an extremely... And I think some somewhere I still am and I have to work on it. But I think that I became an extremely people-pleasing person. Mm-hmm. And I think like that piece had definitely taken the longest time for me to overcome. Two of my like really, really, really good friends here I think they have really helped me like embrace being a woman in a lot of ways. They never find anything I do like weird or they never find anything I ask or say like weird. But I think like what kept me from like embracing my friendship with not just Denver for like with other people for a long time was I was just like, oh my God, I cannot make a mistake. Like I cannot make a mistake. I cannot piss someone off. Like they will leave my life. Like then I won't have any friends. Like this sort of like fear of always being alone. Mm-hmm. And I think like that really kept me from like being my true self and making mistakes in friendships. And then when I started, you know, letting loose a little bit and actually like allowing myself to be who I am. It definitely helped to have a sort of positive feedback from people and say, look, we understand you did something wrong, but that doesn't mean that we're going to leave your life or that you're not worthy of love. You always will be, but here's how you can be better. And I think like if that messaging was present in there, I think I would be so much better, I think, at friendships and at relationships in general. And when I first moved here, I remember at Bates, like I had started working on this production and I was super excited. It was like my freshman year in college. I was, oh my God, like I got cast in the production and I was so happy and I was, you know, doing it. And I remember there were a lot of like men involved in the process from like the costume, dis- uh, not the costume designer, the lighting designer, my um, assistant stage manager, like they were all men. And I remember being so shocked when people looked at me and like smiled and said, hi. I was just like, what? I haven't even done anything. Like I was just like, well, I haven't proven my worth yet. So why are you respecting me? And it was very empowering to realize that that's how I thought, but also heartbreaking that that's how I have thought for all these years in my life. That in order for me to achieve like the most basic respect, I need to have proven my worth in some way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember I still like, would I would text my mom and our group chat with my, my sister and my mom and be like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like guys are so nice. Like they they say hi to me and like, they don't, they don't call me names and like, they don't. Not that that that's there's not plenty of that in the U.S. Like there, of obviously is, but just this transition was so stark for me. Like it really stood out. And as I was typing these things, I realized, well, I'm a human being, so I guess I deserve that. I don't have to do anything out of my way to for someone to not treat me badly, for someone to not you know like hit me. And that was a that was like something that I it took a long time to like come to terms with. Posts in there. And then another thing I think like was like romantic relationships was really hard, really, really hard. And they still are in a lot of ways because of the things that I carry from Sindhya and things that happened after Cynthia. I'm also, I think I also shared the, this with you after your article that I'm also a survivor of sexual assault. Yeah. And I had still so much more processing to do from Sindhya that, having that happen like soon after coming to college was really it was really really tough because then uh, all of these messaging was getting reinforced like well this was going to happen like of course this happened like have you looked at your life like you are the doormat of course this this will happen to you and I think that even like more sort of like came between my relationship with my mom like son I remember coming back home that summer break after it had happened and I just could not look at my mom like, and it was so hard on her. I know, like, I know it, but I just remember one evening I was hysterically yelling, and everything from Cynthia came back. I was like, "This is because of you. Like, where? Why didn't you protect me? Like, why weren't you there? Why didn't you stand up for me?" And it was just so many questions that I could not stop asking, even though in the bottom of my heart I knew it wasn't her. Like, it wasn't up to her. It wasn't her in her hands to, you know. Mm -hmm. one thing i've always appreciated about his is is her that she wasn't a helicopter parent and isn't and then at the same time i was kind of like being like well why haven't you been there but i think like a lot of that anger that was being directed towards my mom was just suppressed anger from Cynthia, and part of the reason why i felt like so weird about that because this entire concept of like daddy issues was just not leaving my head like after the assault even in all my relationships like I just, I don't know, like, it's something that I've been so conditioned to think about. Every time in Sydney, I would do something wrong. Teachers often would be like, well, you know, she's being raised by a single mom. Like, there's only so much we can expect from kids who were raised by single moms. And that was so, I mean, I mean amongst a, a lot that was assumed about my mom and my, like, our little family on Ford, I think that was the one of the worst assumptions to make. Like, that for some reason, outwardly, I pursue disrespect, that I pursue violence. Yeah. In that sense, I think like the term daddy issues was like really detrimental to my growth. And it still is. It's something I'm still working on in therapy. I don't know why people feel so comfortable like labeling girls that. it It, it is used for girls who are brought up by single moms and whose dads mm-hmm. have been absent, which mine has been. And so I think like, A, I always struggled with the fact that like, you know, my dad never had wanted anything to do with my sister and I. And it still kills me. It's still something I'm working on in therapy. It's still something I need to like do a lot of like forgiving on and have a lot of grace for myself towards. But I just found it absolutely frustrating and annoying that that's the term I'm being labeled by as a consequence of an action done by a fully developed man. And I have to then look at other men through that lens and be more forgiving and be more accepting of violence in some sense, because... I don't know. It's just a very twisted social concept. And I, I don't get it yeah. at all. And that was such a hard thing to like process alongside with my incident of sexual violence.
2: Yeah.
1: It was one of the most horrible things that I had to deal with and am I, I'm still dealing with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, I think that's what kept me truly from like for the longest time to tell to accept that what happened wasn't my fault. Which was also confusing because if it happened to anyone else, any of my friends, I kept thinking that's the one thing I would tell them, the first thing I would tell them. But it's so hard to do that for yourself after having grown up in a culture like that. So yeah, it, it really, really I think came between my mom and I, all of the stuff from there and then just burst out because of this one incident. Yeah. But we're moving past it. We're working on it.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Two things that I do want to say. <clears throat> Nobody is deserving, literally nobody should ever be made to feel unsafe in their self. And assault does that to you in such a significant way, but that is like a history dating back to Cynthia. And the fact that at any point you felt that you were responsible for any of those things that happened to you is is rotten to the core. And I am I, I, I'm, I'm an external person. I know I, I am still doing the work on this as well because for years I blamed myself for being raped by a teacher. Yeah. But I hope you know, even if at the end of the day it's what we say to ourselves that matters the most. I hope you know that that wasn't you, and not that you ever have to or ever ever needed to Why for one second of you know that you deserve to be treated with decency. But my fucking lord, Sakanya, so the. To to go from a place where you were constantly disrespected to the person that you are right now, obviously in on a Zoom screen in front of me. I am so in awe of you, but I am also so hecking proud of you, dude.
2: Thank you so much. Honestly
0: fucking God. <laughs> because it takes Man, that is some strength of character that I wish I have, is basically what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to glamorize this. I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal. No, I just not. feel like I have to say this. Yeah. And the second thing that I want to say, um, I used to debate with your sister. Yeah. And I'll, I'll keep this brief because I know she's not in part of the conversation at the moment. But I think when I saw you guys on the fort, there was always this feeling of like, there's a wall there. We often like to colloquially joke about it as like the resting bitch face. Mm-hmm. Um, right? <laughs> and i always used to wonder you know why are they like that why is there the and i apologize again but like why is there the resting bitch face Mm -hmm. i'm surprised there wasn't more i'm surprised like you managed to be such a contributing member of that for both (laughs) of you because it makes so much more sense to me now it's a defense mechanism it's how you learn to survive it's how you have to survive yeah and it took me years to be like holy shit, that environment must have been horrible and I, I really have to be honest. After you reached out to me when I put that essay out, I'm so grateful you did. And I'm so grateful we talked. And I'm so grateful you're here. <laughs> um, again, at the risk of sounding repetitive, I'm so, so incredibly proud of you. Thank you. So, with that said, your mom, I can only imagine what that experience is for her in many ways. What was your relationship like? What's that like? to have that relationship with the two people who maybe get it the most, but are also just like constantly the system is rigged against in so many ways.
1: It's, it's very, very confusing. It made room for a lot of unnecessary jealousy. I don't know what the right word is, but just sort of like anger, like weird anger towards, towards my parent, which was my mom. Mm-hmm. Most of her fights that we had on, when we were on Incindia. My mom and I, you know, my mom did that for us. She left her life in Darabun. She took that chance for us. The heart of that decision was giving, from, like for my mom was, you know, I want to give my kids the best of the best. And that's something our family never compromises on, education. Like, no matter what the price is, no matter what it is, like, obviously, you know, coming from like a middle class family, we were always... If you're going to, if you want to study outside, work hard, get good financial aid and you can go. But it was never something that was taken away from us. Like, even if, you know, we had to pay, so then we have to pay. Like, so what? And I think like she did that in mind. She's like, she knew that her daughters will have so many things and so many dreams and so many more opportunities if you were to move to the school. But for me, as a 12 year old kid, I hated that. I have to leave all my friends, everything and pick up my life, move to Gwalior where I know no one. I hadn't even heard of at that, like, I didn't even know, like, where we were going.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think, like, as a 12-year-old, like, it was really hard for me to see that from her perspective. And quite frankly, like, I don't think any, any like, a kid should have to. So I know she understood where I was coming from, but it was so, so hard. Like, she would hear all sorts of things about us in the staff room, like, teachers coming up to her and be like, well, Sukanya was standing with this guy next to the water cooler. All right. Sukanya was doing this today like she spoke this way and the words that were used to describe us was always witty cunning Mm -hmm. calculative stubborn and at the time sometimes like they were said to us in a complimentary way like Oh, you are like a strong willed woman. Like, you know, this you are mm-hmm. stubborn. And I'm just like, if me telling you that you can't comment on what I'm wearing is yeah. me being stubborn, then I would love for you to meet an actually stubborn person. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, God. like yeah. um,
0: Well done. Standing up for yourself, you yeah. are stubborn now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think like my mom would then come back and she'd be like, she would, she would do her best. She would say, Look, no, I understand it's hard. But we are in this environment. The first things that people are gonna say are gonna be about you and me and not about the guy. But I just even at the time and even now, I'm just like, that is so unfair. And it was my mom was also in a very like vulnerable spot, you know, at the time. She was trying her best to make a living for the both of us, Mm -hmm. to bring up two daughters in an all-boys' school, like Mm -hmm. just give us the best opportunities always. But I think my resentment, there's the word, my resentment towards her was. A lot of the times I was just like, oh, so you're doing this because what you want to prove that you can be a good single mom, like it's about you. So you were doing this because, you know, you want the world to know that you are capable of raising two daughters by yourself. And I think like, as much as it was, must have been hard for her to hear that. I think like, I was just going through it in Cynthia. Like I was just so tired of crying at night. I was so tired. I remember like in eighth grade, things were like really, really bad one time. And I came home and I like, that's the first time I contemplated suicide. And it was really, really, really tough to have my mom and my sister there, be able to be able to talk to them, not about suicide, but be able to talk to them about like what I'm going through at school Mm -hmm. and them also being stuck in a place where they don't know what to quite do or how to quite help, how to make things easier for me there was that one aspect like oh well we are no less we're going to do exactly and exactly as much or even more than the guys because that's how my sister and I were we we were very active in in Sindhya we wanted to be we wanted to participate in everything but I just didn't like that it came with such a big cost I just didn't understand why it did and I think with my mom like she obviously still till day we talk about it and she has some guilt about us having gone to Cynthia but Again, we're, we're working on it as a family. We're mm-hmm. processing it together. But I think like there was just like, I think solid like three, four years where I resented my mom. And it was really, really tough because I also loved her to death. And then with my sister, it was a lot different. She understood a lot of the things that I said. Like she was the first person I like asked her about, what is it like to be attracted to guys? Like, what does that mm-hmm. mean? And, you know, all of these open conversations with her, I was able to have. But at the same time, I also saw her struggle so much and like hit several walls with making her mark and like making friends and being accepted. And I think like in all of that, and this is something that I have not been able to forgive myself yet for it. And I am processing it. I think I became the perpetrator of a lot of things that I faced at home. Mm -hmm. Like I had boyfriends in school my so did my sister. But Mm -hmm. we were, it was never considered like a relationship. Like it was always like, the way it was talked about to us was like what are you like it's such disgust as if we're doing something that not any other teenager would be doing oh. like as if yeah. guys there don't have girlfriends like all over mm-hmm. yeah. the country visiting them for like interschool competitions with the sole purpose of visiting them and i can see all- you
0: looking at me <laughs> it's it's okay <laughs> like
1: it was yeah and and i like yeah. it was it was just really like ironic i was just like do you not see like the difference here but I think I, after a point I became like, so like people pleasing and I was like, oh my God, okay. If keeping my mouth shut, keeping my head low and just making myself as small as possible is what it's going to take to survive the next five years in the school, then sure, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And you use that word survive and I think that you capture that perfectly. I think for the most part, especially like sixth through ninth grade, I was just surviving. Like, I think I was yeah. waking up every day and making sure I was like, okay, I'm going to get through today and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And like with my sister, like it was like so hard because then I was I accepted that I was like, I have to keep myself small and keep my face down and shut my mouth. But what I love most about my sister is she never was one to take bullshit from anyone. She was never the one to say, "Okay, I will just accept what you did and move along. And I was the exact opposite. So when my sister would stand up for herself, like I would see how it would affect my mom because my mom would hear all these things from people like, your your daughter's raising voices at boys. Like, I think at one point, one of the teachers did tell my sister that like she should never raise her voice at guys because guys have an ego. And I was like, are you, wait, what? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And so like a lot of the times when, I'm, when my mom would be struggling and she'd be like, why can't you guys? Like, you know, she was so fed up. She's just like, just do it. Like, just make it through the day. Like, please, I'm begging you. I would be like, yeah, okay, I got it. My sister was like, at no cost. Never will like, I keep my mouth shut if someone is telling me the wrong thing. And so I became the perpetrator of like a lot of things for my sister. And I told this, I feel bad. I would like call her names. I would be like, why are you doing this? Like, are you actually stupid? Like basically like telling her that what she's doing by just being herself, mm-hmm. by taking a stand is wrong when that's exactly what I had a problem with. I mm-hmm. think I was so tired that I was just like, I'm fed up. Like I give up. I'll, you know, whatever it takes. And then I was calling all these names to my sister, like telling her that she was bad for doing, for like living her life as a teenager, for exploring herself, like for having boyfriends. And I think like that really like changed my relationship with my sister. I think that's when we stopped talking, which was really hard because my sister, like till this day, everything she says is right. Everything she says is carved on stone. Like she's my absolute hero. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, I, I love her so much, but I think there was like a long period of time Yeah. I would say most of Cynthia that I had just like feelings of jealousy and resentment because of that. And then there was sibling comparison. Like people could Mm -hmm. not digest the fact that my sister was good academically and like studious and wanted to do debating. And she was also good at sports. Like she was a great, she was great at pistol shooting, which is what I also Mm -hmm. did eventually. Like, and people just could not digest that. I wasn't the same. Like they were like, well, why aren't you getting all A's and why aren't you? And And honestly, I could if I if I wanted to, but it just was never my priority. I was never the kind to sit behind a desk for hours and be like, "Okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to study. Like Mm -hmm. I was always the kid to want to go out, to like want to have fun. And sibling comparison, definitely. Like I I remember there was one time like she got the scholarship to go to Germany Mm And when I found out, I was so happy. I gave her a hug. I was like, congratulations. And then the incessant comments at school. Like, I was scared to set foot in school because everyone was just like, oh, well, next year is going to be you. And I'm just like, that made me so confused. I was like, that's not my priority. Should it be? Like, should I want to be, like, want to have to want Mm -hmm. to be wanting to go to Germany and like on this full scholarship and do this and that. And I think like what took the hardest hit on our sibling relationship was when, I applied for NYU Abu Dhabi and I didn't get in. And the next day I came into school and there were all these looks and like stares. And, and I was just like, do you understand how hard it is to get into colleges? Like, and that's yeah. like, you know, you apply to 10, you get into three. Like, and I was just, no one was like willing to see that perspective. It was, it was all just like, well, your sister got in. So like, why not you? No one was willing to hear my side. I was not happy when I went there for my interview. I was not happy. I just wasn't but everything was just like this from this weird place of like sibling comparison, like do this. And I I honestly, it felt more frustrating because it didn't stop even after I had done things that my sister hadn't done at school. Like I went for the biking expedition. I went for the mountain expedition with my sister, Mm -hmm. which was a great bonding exercise for us, like 25 days in the mountain isolated. And we talked about a lot. That was one of the most cherished memories I have with my sister growing up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But I think, a lot of resentment growing up, but I it's a lot of it has been processed. A lot of it is still being processed. Mm-hmm. With my sister, I obviously don't have any resentment anymore. I, I'm able to have more open conversations with her. And
2: okay.
1: I think with my mom it'll it'll take some time. Our relationship is strong. It's really, really strong. She's absolute mm-hmm. my like ride or die, but I think there's some things that are yet to be processed from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Time takes time. Yeah. I did warn you about this, where like, we'll only get through half of the things that we've put on the paper. <laughs> yeah. But just to kind of wrap things up, I have two questions. Actually, three questions. There, there might be a third one. We'll, we'll, we'll play it by you. Okay. So two questions. Uh, and these are very tied. If you could, so you have a time machine now, mm-hmm. just right now, today. And you go back to grade nine. And you, I mean, you're meeting your grade nine self. So you're back in time and you have an entire like hour with young little Sakanya. What do you, what do you say? What do you talk about?
1: Okay. This is like, it's going to sound a little silly, but I would really tell her to stop pulling her hair back so much. (laughs) Like, like literally (laughs) I would tell her like, stop oiling the shit out of your hair and stop pulling them back so much that you end up with like just a face and no head. (laughs) So that's like one of the first things I give.
0: Solid advice.
1: Yeah. But I also tell her to give herself a break. I would tell her that not everyone in your life will like you and that is okay. And I would tell her to think more about like self-love and what that looks like.
0: And this is my, it's a a loaded one in the sense because I know we're still both, I I, I don't have a concrete answer for this. I don't expect you to. What's your hope for anybody listening in? Especially for like, obviously people that you know, are either part of the fort, were part of the fort, uh, maybe part of the fort. What's your, what's your, what's your hope for somebody listening to this episode?
1: I think like some serious reflection Mm -hmm. Um, and not for, for me, like I don't want, people to be like oh, like now we have to reach out and if like if we ever did something like i do not expect anyone to like reach out with like lengthy apology messages or anything like that but i think like reflection more in terms of so how does the cycle stop so where do we intervene like i think i love community and i love like thinking about generations and like what comes next and everything like that i think like mm-hmm. it's i think it's time that we like we think about how we're going to leave this place a little bit better for the next people And I think, like, if we're not thinking about that actively, I don't know, like, if we're being a part of community. So I think that that is my hope. I hope, like, there are really happy girls in there right now. I hope if they're not, I hope people are checking in with them. That's my hope. Someone checks in with them and says, are you doing okay mentally? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one reflection and two second hope is just abundant love for all kids in Sindhya. But also I have a place in my heart for the girls yeah. that go there. So just a lot of love for them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man, that is, yeah, you have to leave that place better than you found it. Yeah. And if you can't, as a present ex or future Sindhin, if you can't say that you have You've got some serious work to do and do it like i i 100 agree don't do it for sending sukanya long apologies
1: yeah please no <laughs> sukanya
0: is well on her way you're well on your way on doing the work yeah yeah <laughs> right? start start having these uncomfortable conversations with yourself it's the only way to do it yeah. because to say we have a problem you have to first recognize it and that's how we fix it right. this is my last question this is ending on a hopeful note before i say my final spiel before we pause this recording so we've talked about you going back in the time machine yeah you're listening to this episode now, 10 years in the future. It's been 10 years since you and I recorded this. I, am, I will send you a message on the 10th year anniversary of publishing that. this episode. <laughs> like, hey, 10 years, we've, we did this. Um, where do you want to be? Where, what's your hope for yourself 10 years from now?
1: 10 years from now, professionally, I think I want to be doing research in women's health and also mm-hmm. be a psychiatric nurse practitioner. That's what I want to okay. be. So hopefully professional goals, that's what I want to do. Personally, I've, I want to be able to make more room in my heart for love,
2: mm-hmm.
1: for myself more than anyone else and be more forgiving towards myself and then also be better with setting boundaries. Like I really want to turn into someone who is able to say no and leave the conversation there and not have to feel like I have to explain myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully still surrounded by a lot of my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's my hope.
0: <laughs> to future Sakanya listening to this, I hope all and more has come to pass. But to you, the the one <laughs> in front of me right now, I had a certain idea of what this may have felt like kind of coming into me and what I was like hoping this conversation would be. But I'm leaving so much more aware, educated on your, because I, I think it you, I have run the risk of like just kind of really focusing it on like the perspective of the boys on the fort. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to have this conversation because I know there's a whole other side to this that needs voice as well. Oh, absolutely. And you, this is like one hour off that voice (laughs) and such, like we've barely scratched the surface. (laughs) I am incredibly grateful to you for having this conversation, but all I will say and all I, I will ever say at the risk of repeating again, I am so incredibly proud of you, but also wishing so much more abundant growth and joy and love for you so Kanye, kind of, yeah, i mean the, if you are ever in london or if i'm ever down in the states we absolutely have to get a cup of coffee because i would love to catch up with you in person
1: oh my god i would love that that would make my day and also thank you so much for all your affirmations throughout this podcast i don't think i would have been comfortable at all if you weren't such a great host and also someone i knew personally so thank you so yeah. much for also sharing your story because it helped me share mine so thank you yeah.
0: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there. Uh, like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> usually is what we say, but uh, no, <laughs> that's that's where I'm gonna leave it. Thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday, and if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.